Good morning. We're so glad you guys are here with us. It's been a beautiful day so far, beautiful weekend. Hope you guys are getting out and enjoying uh, the weather and doing lots of stuff. Uh, nobody's team lost yesterday because nobody played, so we're all in a good mood right now, and we'll we'll take it for one week. Uh, one last reminder, I know it was in the announcement video, but if you're interested in going to the uh, night at the range with the Forge, our men's ministry here, the last chance to sign up for that on the app, you go to the Welcome Center, is this Tuesday, because uh, we want to make sure we have enough shotgun shells there at the end for the shotgun shoot, uh, and then also we'll make sure we have enough food, but it's a fun time uh, out at the gun range, and that's this Friday night. Uh, there's several other things coming up. There's a ton coming up. I know some student Halloween parties are coming up with middle school and high school uh, and all that, so make sure and just download the app if you consider Journey your home and want to know what's going on. You can stop by the Welcome Center. I know there's all kinds of stuff out there you can sign up for as well. So we are in the second week of this series, uh, People of the Second Chance, and this whole series is based on forgiveness. And last week, if you missed it, we started, because I think we have to start here, with the understanding at which the limits, or not even the limits, the length that God is willing to go to to forgive us. And I think we have to start there, because I understand that what we're going to start talking about today, and then next week, and then end on in three weeks, is incredibly difficult. I realize that what I'm going to say today, um, for a lot of you, there's going to be a lot of pushback. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, well, hold on a second. Um, and, and I get that because forgiveness is extremely difficult. But yet what we see is when God introduces this conversation of forgiveness and reconciliation and grace and moving forward, um, it's not just about here, like us and him. It's also a conversation about us. And how we move forward and how we work through some of these very difficult things. In fact, God, almost every time that he talks about the understanding of forgiveness between us and him, there's also a piece of that conversation is about how we handle this with each other. Because again, it's very difficult. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul starts this with a little beautiful declaration. He says this, be kind and compassionate to one another which is just great advice. Like we need more people in this world that are kind and compassionate towards each other. But then he kind of doubles down with this, how this is going to apply to us. And he says, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And so he's using again, where I started last week is this idea of, okay, if you understand how God has forgiven you and, and the links to which he's willing to go and to do that, then also we have to learn to forgive each other. Because you are not just designed just for connection with God. You and I were designed with connection with each other. And you're going to have to learn how to relate to each other through forgiveness. Now, there is an interesting part of forgiveness that is a psychological dynamic that exists outside of the Bible. So whether you believe in God or you're still working through all this or whatever that your faith is, that's fine, okay? And maybe you're just checking this out. But what you have to understand is forgiveness is an extraordinary human experience. Even people that don't believe in God, believe the Bible, believe the importance of what God talks about, also recognize that we still need forgiveness and to give forgiveness and to receive forgiveness. It is a human dynamic, it makes us better human beings. It makes us better. It frees us in life from not having to carry some of these things around. In fact, I would argue that if you hurt someone, if you harm someone, if you betray someone, if you lie to someone, if you've damaged a relationship and you don't feel anything, you don't feel any guilt or any shame or any sense in which you have to make this right, um, congratulations, because by definition, you're a sociopath, okay? Okay. And that's true. 
And so all of us, we need, even outside of faith, this feeling of understanding the importance of forgiveness. And Jesus spends a lot of time illustrating the importance of this for the dynamic, not only between us and God, but also for each other. Jesus did not simply die for you to be connected only to God, but also to each other. Because unforgiveness will polarize you, it will separate you, it will distance you, and unforgiveness will sever the ties between you and the people with whom you love. So Jesus has given this discourse on the power of forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness. And if this and what we talk about today makes you uncomfortable, and here's what I realize. I realize that many of you in this room, that right now, we could get you up on stage, I could give you that microphone, you could tell, you, tell us your story, and we would all feel terrible. We would sympathize with you, we would understand. Okay, it's not saying, and I'm not saying that what happened to you and what they did to you doesn't matter. It's not what this conversation's about. And so these first disciples, they hear the same idea that Jesus is giving, and, and they raise the same questions that you and I might be willing to raise or want to raise even today. And so Matthew chapter 18, right after this discourse on forgiveness that Jesus gives, uh, Peter asks the question that maybe we want to ask, and he says this, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? It's a great question, right? So like if someone's going to sin against me, how many times do I actually have to forgive them? And so he says, up to seven times? Which, to be honest with you, I think that he thinks is generous, right? Like, and maybe it is. Like, if you're with me, it's like three, three strikes, you're out, right? Isn't that the rule? Like, you get three times and then we're done, okay? So, so he probably is being generous by even throwing up this seven number. How many times do I have to forgive? Because in his mind, and maybe in some of our minds, that's a lot, right? So Jesus answered him. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Other translations, depending on what translation you use, and it was a little bit lost in the, you know, in the Greek, the German, the Hebrew, and all that, and I'll explain that to you some other time. Um, there's a little bit of translation loss. So some versions say 77 times, some say seven times 70, which would be 490, right? Now you hear that, and some of you are like, okay, so I'm going to go home and make one of those little chain things we make when we're counting down to Christmas time, and I'm just going to hang that up and put somebody's name on it, and I'm just going to start taking the chains off. That's not the point Jesus is making, whether it's 77 or 490. What he's making is, is there's always one more chance. Now, this 7 and 77, what's interesting about it, and the reason I kind of think that's what he was trying to say, was there's another place in the Bible where the 7 and the 77 come into play. Anybody know where it is? Probably not. Good Bible trivia question. If you ever want to stump your friends, is ask them that. Now, where this takes place is all the way almost at the beginning of the story, in the book of Genesis. Now, in the book of Genesis, it opens with this dynamic of these people that represent the, the first people to live on the planet, the first people that God created, and, and two of them happen to be brothers. And, and these two brothers, one of the brothers is jealous of the other brother. And so in some ways, he feels like he's been wronged by the other brother or made to look inferior by the other brother. And so now there's this dynamic in which these two brothers are, are having issues. And one brother is actually jealous of the other brother. And he's warned, even in the scriptures, that, hey, you have to be careful of these feelings that you have because it's like an animal crouching at your door. That if you, if you don't deal with this, this, these feelings you have will devour you and you might act upon them. 
And eventually in the story, we see that he doesn't deal with these feelings that he's having. He doesn't offer forgiveness to his brother that he he feels like has made him look inferior. He doesn't deal with that. And eventually we get to the point in the story where he actually kills his brother. And he leaves his brother out in a field. Now, this story, if you know, is the story of Cain and his brother Abel. Cain is then banished to another land, and when he goes to this land, he establishes a city. We don't know very much about the city that he establishes, but there's one little detail that emerges in Genesis chapter 4, and there's this vignette of what it's like to live in that city and the people that live in that city. And there's a guy named Lamech, and Lamech has this issue where this guy has caused a problem with him, and now again, there's this issue, and this is what happens, and so um, he has to deal with this issue. Now, rather than go and offer forgiveness or try to work it out, Lamech and it does the same thing that Cain does, and he actually goes and he just kills this guy. He gets vengeance. He gets revenge. And in Genesis chapter 4, he writes this little bitty snippet, this little bitty poem, and here's what it says. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And so what Jesus is doing is tapping into this ancient story, and he's saying, hey, if this story represents the capacity of humans to cause violence and chaos and how revenge escalates and how vengeance escalates. He's going to use those same kind of teachings, those same kind of things and say, hey, if Lamech and Cain kind of um, equal the unbridled revenge and, and the poor relationship skills of people, then what I'm going to do is teach you a new way to have an unbridled relationship of mercy and an ability to forgive And so he takes this seven and this 77, and even though it will be lost on most of us, he plays into this ancient Jewish stories and gives a counter narrative to this city. And and so they're sitting there and they're like, okay, Jesus, that's great teaching. Good job. Brilliant stuff. Okay. So, um, so the 77 and 49, they're like, 49, they're like ready to move on. Great stuff. Okay. Whatever. Okay. So Jesus then launches into a story to respond to Peter. Now, this story is going to be really difficult to hear. Let me go on and tell you that. But what Jesus does is he starts with this first thing. He acknowledges that when someone hurts someone else, when someone does something wrong to someone else, all of a sudden there's a debt-debtor relationship that's created. There's a feeling when someone wrongs you in which they owe you something. In fact, we know this is true. When we feel like someone needs to apologize to us, what do we say? They owe me an apology. It feels like when someone wrongs you, like they owe you something. And we have to go get that debt removed. Now we can do that through revenge or vengeance, which we'll see um, doesn't play out well in a couple weeks. Or we can go and get the apology in which they erase the debt or all this stuff. So Jesus says a brilliant thing. So he creates this language. And here's what he says. He says, so imagine there's a king and this king, he's, he's a wealthy king, he's well-known, he's well-loved, and he's lended out some money to some people, okay? And, and one of the people that he, he's lended money to, he's lended him a lot of money, which would be the equivalent of about a million dollars in today's world, right? So that's a lot of money. I don't care who you are, that's a lot of money. If you don't think a million dollars is a lot of money, what we want you to do is hold up a blank check and we'll take care of it for you, okay? Um, but just go ahead. But this is a big, so there, he's painting a picture that in their world, like this is a number so big they can't even imagine it. So the equivalent of a million dollars that this guy is owed because of this debt. And so he goes and he's going to sure up all of his accounts. And so he goes to this guy that owes him a million dollars and he says, hey, it's time to pay up. And, and the guy 
immediately is like, I can't pay that. Like, that's too much. And so the king replies, okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to take your wife and your children and all of your possessions and all of your servants and all of your belongings, and you go and you sell all of that stuff and you work it off till you can pay me back. Now, if the idea of selling your wife off sounds awesome, we have sermons for you later, okay? <laughs> but if it also sounds foreign to you, what you understand is that wasn't foreign in their world. This is what you did. And so the guy, he like begs, he goes to the king, he says, please don't make me do this. I can't pay this back. I don't want to get rid of my family. So the king has mercy and compassion on this servant and he erases the debt, which would have been shocking to everyone in that crowd and should be shocking to all of us because the question is who does this? And going back to last week, the answer is nobody does that. Nobody would allow that big of a debt to just be wiped out. And so he leaves the king who's just erased this unimaginable debt that he owes. And so you would think that this servant would now be the most generous, grace-filled person that's ever walked the face of the earth. You would think, I mean, if you had a million-dollar debt just erased, that you might be a little bit more compassionate towards people. But he walks out of the king's palace, he's walking down the street, and he runs into a guy that owes him a little bit of money. He owes him about 100 silver coins, which would be the equivalent today of about $1,000. And he sees this guy that owes him this $1,000, and his response is to get belligerent towards this guy and to tell him he has to pay him back immediately. Now, a couple of details about this story if you're not picking up what Jesus is laying down. This story isn't about money. This story is about transgressions and wrongs that have been done. And the picture, you should always, when Jesus tells a parable, um, what you always want to do is figure out who the God character is and figure out who you are. So in this story, the God character is the king, and the you is the servant that just got released of the million-dollar debt. And here's the thing. See, you might not like that, but you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. I mean, if you took the time to start thinking about how many times you've actually sinned, I mean, like me, I've probably already sinned two or three times a day, didn't even realize it, right? Now, before you get too judgy, because please don't, okay? Uh, the reality is all of us mess up, okay? We all do these things, okay? And so here's the thing. So this is huge debt. The king wipes it out. Now he sees this other guy. Now, here's what's important about the story for some of you, because you're going to push back on this later. How many of us could just lose $1,000 right now and be okay? Okay, so, so here's the point. Jesus isn't saying it's nothing. Jesus isn't saying that whatever these people have done to you doesn't matter. I mean, $1,000 would hurt most of us right now. Okay, so don't think that Jesus is being dismissive of what happened to you. What he's saying is by comparison. And so this guy, he goes to this guy that owes him $1,000. That's why he just had this giant debt removed. He chokes the guy, tells him to pay him back immediately. The guy can't pay it back. He says, okay, well, you go sell your wife and your children. Same deal that he was that owed. Pay your wife, children, do all this stuff until you pay him back. Guy says, I can't pay you back. And so the servant who just had this unbelievable debt erased takes this other guy and throws him into prison. Which, by the way, if you're thinking through this story and the irrationalness of this, Putting somebody in prison that owes you money probably isn't the best place to put them because they can't pay you back, can they? 
So he puts this guy in prison, and then all of a sudden, the servants and everybody, they start to hear this member because they, they already knew this guy. Because think about it, he's had a million dollar debt removed. Don't you think people are going to know? And so the servants go back to the king and they said, hey, that guy that you just had that giant debt removed from, um, we just saw him attack somebody in the street that owed him just a little bit of money. So the king, he calls back this servant. And he says, essentially, why? why? Why would you respond that way after you just had this debt wiped out? And the guy really doesn't have an explanation. And so the king, he tells the wicked servant, he says, because you've acted this way, because you've done this, he hands him over to the jailers to be imprisoned himself. And, and then Jesus, he ends the story with a verse that I, ju- I just wish wasn't in the Bible. He says this, And that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you forgive, refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Well, isn't that brutal, right? That's a little rough. Now, three reasons I think that Jesus takes this story so seriously and why he wants us to understand this story, even though it is a rough teaching and a hard one. For the first thing is this. Um, Isn't it a little bit, let's acknowledge, it's a little bit hypocritical to be willing to, if you believe that God gives you the grace and mercy he gives you, isn't it at least a little bit hypocritical to be willing to accept the grace and forgiveness of God and how big and how wide it is, but not be willing to extend that same mercy, grace, and forgiveness to others? I mean, isn't that just a little bit hypocritical? And that was the point of the story, that we, we understand how much we've messed up. And some of us, we've messed up. We've hurt ourselves. We've hurt other people. We've fractured the relationship with us and God. We've hurt other people. We've hurt ourselves. And yet we go out and someone else offends us or does something to us, and we're not willing to move forward. So the second part of that is think about this level of it. So when I mess up, so I, I don't know if you guys know this, I do mess up. I've messed up. I mean, I've hurt people. I've wronged people. But see, when I go to that person and, and try to seek forgiveness or to try to make it right, here's what I expect and hope that person to be. Understanding, forgiving, willing to listen to all of my excuses for why I did certain things and said certain things and why. See, I want you, when it comes to me needing forgiveness, I want all of you and everybody else to be incredibly patient with me. But as soon as that's flipped and you've done something to me, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, has this brilliant teaching about this. He says this, You must make every effort to kill every taste of resentment in your own heart. Every wish to humiliate or hurt him. So he's talking about someone that's wronged you or to pay him out. The difference between this situation and the one in such you are asking God's forgiveness is this. In our own case, we accept excuses too easily. All y'all, me included, got an excuse for everything we've ever done, right? You got an excuse for why you did this and why you did this and why you... We all got excuses, And here's what he's saying. We all have our own excuses and we accept them even if we know they're not real, right? I was going to say something else, but I don't want to get in trouble. So like we we accept them even if we know they're not true. Now, it goes on to say, in other people's, we do not accept them easily though. As in regards to my own sin, it is a safe bet, though not a certain one, that the excuses are not really as good as I think. The excuse for why you acted that way or why you behaved that way, here's a fact. It's probably not as good of an excuse as you think. 
As regards the other man's sin against me, it is a safe bet, though not a certainty, that the excuses are better than I think. So let me explain what C.S. Lewis is kind of saying here with all this and tap into this a little bit. All right. So first of all, when someone wrongs us, I think the first thing we need to ask is, did they really sin against us? Or was it just a misunderstanding? You ever been like texting somebody? And you're texting them back and forth, and then all of a sudden it turns. Just me? Okay. All right. So none of you guys are going to say this. And the reason it turns is because you're texting, and they can't see your face. They can't read the context. You used the wrong emojis. You didn't use the right exclamation. Okay? So all of a sudden, nobody's even actually mad at each other, but we're all of a sudden mad at each other because it was a misunderstanding of communication. Is it possible that sometimes when we think someone's wronged us, it was actually just a misunderstanding? Or, don't elbow anybody, is it just that you're too sensitive? You ever been hurt by somebody and then realized that maybe you just were a little too sensitive there? Or maybe, and this is the one for some of you, I mean, I'm not saying any of you all, but is it possible that maybe you just like drama. And so what CS is saying is, you know, there might actually be a good excuse for why they did what they did. You just took it wrong. One must therefore begin by attending to everything which may show the other man was not so much to blame as we thought. But even if he is absolutely full of blame, we still have to forgive him. Third, I think the reason Jesus tells us this story is he understands that to live in a world of unforgiveness will hurt you, it will haunt you, and it will lead you to destructive places. And it will not only cause you to hurt yourself because you're carrying things you aren't meant to carry or you're carrying things way longer than you were ever supposed to carry them to begin with, but it will also cause you to hurt others because what will happen in a season of unforgiveness is you'll start taking things out on other people that had nothing to do with the situation you're upset about. It is a destructive place. It will leave you with a hardened heart a broken heart in some cases, and it will leave you with a tainted view of the world and those around you. And Jesus understands that if you want to live life and life to the full, you cannot live in a world of unforgiveness. One of my favorite quotes by Anne Lamont when talking about unforgiveness, she says this, we've used it before, it's like drinking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. You're causing all of the hurt to yourself because you keep taking in the poison. Now, the other thing about this is is you have to know this, and I have learned this over the last 42 years. Um, You will never have a relationship in your life where forgiveness is not needed at some point. Even the people that got your back, I mean, you're ride or die, you're, you know, whatever words you want to use. At some point, even the people that you love the most and you know they love you the most and they've got your back, listen... At some point, something's going to happen and forgiveness will have to be a part of that relationship. You'll never have a relationship where forgiveness is not needed in some context. And you'll never sustain healthy relationships if forgiveness is not given. And so the bad news is you can't have human relationships at all without an endless journey of forgiveness. 
In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is asked by the followers um, to teach them how to pray, which is their understanding of how do we commune with God? How do we actually interact with God in this life? And so how do we pray to him? And in the middle of this prayer that Jesus recites, that all of you, especially if you grew up Catholic or played college or high school football, you know by heart, right? In the middle of this prayer, he has this line and he says this, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Jesus says, if you're going to commune with God daily in conversation with him, a part of that conversation is to understand the forgiveness that you need, but also the forgiveness that you have to give. And I don't need anybody to explain that, God, I need your forgiveness. That one's easy for me. But the hard part is forgiving our debtors. In fact, here's what he goes on to say if he, if he ended in just those verses. Again, this is hard to hear, but in verse 14, he says this, For if you forgive other people whether they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Did anybody else get anxious a little bit when you read that? Because I know what I'm willing to hold on to. I think what Jesus is really trying to get at is this. If God is completely willing to forgive you, and God has been willing to forgive you, and that's what you honestly, and I know some of you are still working through it, but if that's what you honestly believe and the core foundation of the faith that you have in God. And in fact, there's this brilliant writing in, in the book of Psalms where it says, as far as the east is from the west, God has forgiven your sins. Like if he's willing to go that far as to say how much he's forgiven you, and not only has he forgiven you, don't forget, he's the one that absorbed the cost of the forgiveness. He's the one that took the debt that you and I owed and paid it on our behalf. He's the king that took the million dollar debt and said, it doesn't exist anymore. I'm absorbing that. It's not like that money just vanished. He absorbed it. And if that is true... Why in the world would you ever hesitate forgiving other people? But it gets worse. So later they bring this up again to Jesus. And in Luke chapter 17, here's what it says. It says this, even if that person wrongs you. Now remember, it was just seven times to begin with. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day. Well, that escalated. (laughs) And each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive You ever have that person that just keeps doing the same thing over and over again? Jesus says we have to forgive. And do you know how the disciples respond to that? Okay, God, that's going to be really tough. So I need you to increase my faith. See, I thought when the apostles said increase my faith, because this is the sermons I heard it before, I thought it was about something supernatural or miraculous, or it was going to be one of these things where it's like, God, increase my faith so I can cause that mountain to move, or something supernatural, like God, increase my faith so I can heal people or do whatever. No, the response of the people, the context of increase my faith is this, God, that's going to be really difficult to forgive those people. So I'm going to need just a little bit more faith. Increase our faith is all about our command to forgive the people who have hurt us. Now, I want to be real clear on this next point. See, what Jesus is not talking about, and I have some other verses that I'm not going to get into now to show this, and what I'm not asking or will ever ask 
is if the relationship we're talking about is an unhealthy dynamic of abuse. See, verses like that have been twisted sometimes to get men and women who are being physically injured or harmed to stay in those relationships. If he's hitting you or hurting you in that way, you have to get out. Now, there may come a point where you have to forgive for your sake, but that person doesn't ever have to be a part of your life again. See, what you have to understand about forgiveness is forgiveness is not an act of weakness. That's what we made it out to be. We've made forgiveness out to be, well, I guess I just got to do it. Okay, I just got to do it. I got to let them hurt me again. I got to let them walk all over me because the Bible says. No, what you have to understand is forgiveness is an act of power. I'm choosing to tell you that what you've done to me will not affect me or impact me or have power over me anymore. Perhaps the most powerful words that you will ever speak into the life of another human being, not just for them, but also for you, is I forgive you. What you did, what you said, it will not, it will not define me. It will not create a different future for me. And because I've been given the power to forgive, I have the faith to believe that I'm powerful enough to forgive and that I will be free of the bitterness and the wounds that you gave me. So the next step for many of us may be to actually choose to forgive. And you're not forgiving the person because they're right. You're not forgiving the person because they're justified. You're not forgiving them because you agree with them. You're forgiving them because you have been given the power to forgive. So this week, I was thinking about this, and I was like, okay, so I'm going to say all these things, and then in two weeks, it's going to get even worse, so just prepare yourself for that. And so I was like, I know what I've got to say, and so, but here's the problem. Like, I've got a list. Like, physically, I have a list of six situations that I put into my notes app on my phone of people that have wronged me. Now, before you get all judgy, you all got lists in the back of your heads. Mine just on my phone, and there's only six, so let's give me some credit, okay? So I was thinking about this, and I, I knew I had to preach this on Thursday, and in my mind, and I'm going to do it again today, and I was like, okay, I can't tell people they have to forgive these people and the importance of it unless I'm willing to do that. So Thursday morning before I came into work, I went to Burnham Forest, because I read this book one time, and it talked about that when you go for walks, it's easier to have harder conversations. So I went to Burnham Forest, and I took my list of six. And I called three of them. Two of them went better than I could have imagined and was long overdue. One of them went terribly wrong. <laughs> but that's okay. Because I can't control how people respond. I can only control what's going on in my heart. Now, if what I just told you still sounds really hard, remember the key words was I had six and I've only called three. And I picked the three easy ones. <laughs> I still got three more. But here's what I decided. I decided, and I know that my heart can only handle so much. And our hearts not only can handle so much, it's like our hearts have this like capacity. And here's the thing. As long as I allow bitterness and anger and hate and spite to live in there and to fill my heart it has no room for the love and the peace that I actually want to be in there. 
And so I decided I don't want that anymore. And I won't let one more day go by with these things in my heart. I will not let these things define me. I will not these things determine who I am and who I'm becoming. And so I have to let it go. And so do you. There's the other side of that coin. Those phone calls were all phone calls of people that have wronged me. I've wronged other people. I've hurt people. I've done things to people or said things to people or dismissed people. And maybe some of them are even people in this room that have heard my voice this weekend. There's a story that Jesus tells us and he says, so like if you're on your way to like church or temple and you're taking your gift, so like whatever you're going to present to God that day, and he says you're on your way there and all of a sudden you realize that you've wronged one of your brothers or sisters, they have something against you. Jesus says what you do is you're supposed to put your gift down, go to that person and make it right before you enter the temple. Which means that for some of us, we're long overdue with some phone calls and some coffee appointments we need to make because we've wronged somebody and we keep coming back in here week after week. And maybe some of us, me included, we have to humble ourselves and give the opportunity for that person to set you free, but also to set them free. And then for some of us, it's, it's not that we have to forgive other people or that we even need to seek forgiveness from other people. For some of us, maybe the problem is we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. And we're carrying around things in our hearts and our minds that God's already said he's forgiven us for and that the people we actually did those things to or hurt have already forgiven us for, but we won't forgive ourselves. The pushback on all this is simple. See, for some of us, when we feel hurt, or we feel like our heart's been broken, or we feel wronged again, there's this debt debtor. But for some of us, what happens is we build like this defense mechanism. And it starts in our heart, and our hearts start to get hard. And the problem is, if we start to forgive people and move past some of these things, then our feeling is that this hard heart that we've created may all of a sudden become a little bit soft and tender again. And, and the problem with allowing ourselves to believe that our hearts could get soft and tender again is that as soon as we allow our hearts to get soft and tender, they might get wounded again. Because people are difficult. So C.S. Lewis, he tells us this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be rugged and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Forgive is a act of power but it's also an act that can make you vulnerable. But if you forgive, you will know that you're stronger than the wounds, you're stronger than the pain, that love and grace and mercy and forgiveness are in fact the most powerful forces in the world. And now you'll have such great faith that you'll be ready to move forward. And if you're not going to do it for yourself, let me plead on some other people's behalf. 
See, when we allow our hearts to become hard because of the things that have happened and we don't offer forgiveness and we allow ourselves to become this person of vengeance and hate and revenge and all of these things and we allow these things to build up in our hearts and fill our hearts with the capacity of those things. See, there are people who are waiting and there are people who are longing. Maybe your spouse, maybe those little feet that run around your house, and they're hoping and they're waiting for you to be free because they need you and not the bitter, angry, resentful, hardened heart, you. And maybe you'll be finally, after you choose to forgive, free to give them what they've needed the whole time. And so the disciples they hear this, and it's difficult. And their response is, God, increase our faith. And maybe that's the prayer that you and I need to have as well, so that we can forgive and be set free. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. God, I thank you for the grace that you give us. God, I know that that is a difficult conversation for a lot of people. And I know that forgiveness is not easy which is why I think you displayed what forgiveness is to us first. That while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were still all of the things that we are and were, you sent your son. You took the first step. You showed us the first action. You absorbed the debt of us so that we would be willing to move forward with others. And so God, may we never forget that you acted first. God, may we never forget the love and the grace that you give us that is the only way in which makes this conversation even possible is to know the ways in which you've forgiven us and maybe, God, that through that we can be willing to move forward and extend that forgiveness to others. God, that's not gonna be easy. And maybe for some of us, God, the first step, as awful as it sounds, is just to make a list, a list of the ways that we feel like we've been wronged and to not just say it in, in some way but to actually specifically say this is what's happened to me so that we can then go to those people and make those situations right so that not only can they be free but we can be free god you said you came to give us life and life to the full and a life filled with bitterness and rage and and jealousy and, and heartbrokenness and hardened heart is not a free life so god give us the strength we need the wisdom we need the peace that we need and may we know in all of these things that you'll be with us that you will love us through it all. In your son's name we pray, amen. Every week we come to this time, we remember the hope that we have in Jesus and celebrate that. This is a time maybe for some of you just to reflect, to pray, to think. And so what we do during this time is we do communion, which is where we remember the hope that we have in Jesus, the grace that's been given to us, the forgiveness that's been given to us, and the ways in which God absorbed our debt. So we take the emblems, represents his broken body and shed blood. And so the band's gonna lead us in worship and we ask that you respond accordingly.